Father God, thank you for this day. I thank you for all of the blessings that you give to us, even when we can't see them. I thank you that you're always working for your children behind the scenes and and, uh, that uh, all good things come from you, Father. I just ask that you fill this place with your spirit this morning. Come and speak to us through the word and through the music. We just praise you and lift up your name in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.
God is good, and we're going to have a great time this morning worshiping the Lord. I just want to encourage you. Enjoy Mother's Day, by the way. Uh, We can do that and worship the Lord at the same time, right? We can honor our mothers, and we can honor the Lord. And so we'll be talking about that more a little later, but uh, I want to read you a passage of Scripture to set the tone for our worship this morning. This is uh, it's about Jehoshaphat, and I'm reading from 2 Chronicles 20. But, you know, they had this massive army coming against them, and they didn't know what to do, and they were kind of freaking out. Jehoshaphat called all the people together, and they prayed. And, and this is what he prays. He said, Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand, is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel? And you gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend, forever. And they dwell in it and have built you a sanctuary in it for your name, saying... If disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this temple and in your presence, for your name is in this temple, and we'll cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. And now, here are the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, because... Uh, You didn't want to destroy them, but here they are rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession, which you gave us to inherit. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are on you. That's what we need to remember, that we don't have power. We don't know what to do all the time, but if we keep our eyes on the Lord, he's got a plan. And it's a plan that will bring you to success every time. So he says, we have no power against this great multitude that's coming against us. Nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Now, all Judah with their little ones, their wives and their children stood before the Lord. And then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah. And he he was a Levite and he begins to to give this uh, prophetic word. He says, listen, all of you Judah... And you inhabitants of Jerusalem, and you, King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid, nor dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, there's a lot of stuff going on in the world right now. But God is saying the battle is not yours. And we see all this chaos, and we see all this confusion, and economic fears. We see all the things that are going on. And I'm telling you, the battle is not ours because God has a plan. And it's a plan that's a good plan. He has has our benefit in his mind. And he says, don't be afraid because the battle is not yours. Tomorrow, go down against them. They will come up uh, in a certain area and you're going to go down there for them. And he says, you will not need to fight this battle. Go, but you're not going to need to fight. Position yourselves. You know, we had a prophetic word last year. Bonnie, you shared that with us. We were preaching about positioning ourselves, and she said, I believe that's what God is saying to us as a body. We are positioning ourselves in the community. And we've seen some things happen, and I believe we're just seeing the beginning of it. He says, 
Go down there and position yourselves. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you. Do not fear or be dismayed tomorrow, but go out against him, for the Lord is with you. So Jehoshaphat, he bowed his head with his face to the ground, and they all bowed down, they began to worship. And then the Levites, the children of Israel, the Kohathites and the Korhites, they stood up to praise the Lord God with voices loud and high. Well, this morning we got the Kohathites and the Korhites. We're all going to lift our voices loud and high. We're going to praise God. We're going to begin to exalt Him because the battle is the Lord's. We are positioned. But listen, what happens? Position yourselves. Go out. Send the praise out. So it says, Jehoshaphat says, rose early in the morning. He went out to the wilderness and they went out and they stood there and he talked to the people and said, look. He said, hear me. You inhabitants of Jerusalem, believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets, and you'll prosper. So when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord, and who should praise the beauty of his holiness. And they went out before the army. He sent the praisers out before the army. He didn't send out the fighters. He sent out the praisers, because that's where the victory happens, is in the praise. He sent out the praisers, and he said... Praise the Lord, for his mercy endures forever. Hallelujah. And they began to sing and to praise the Lord. And when they did that, the Lord set ambushes against those enemies, and they were defeated before him. And Israel and Judah, all they had to do was just go out and pick up the spoils. So I'm telling you, all this coronavirus, it's been horrible. But God has been positioning his people, his church, so that we are in a place where we can begin to do the things that he's called us to do. And I'm telling you, I'm beginning to see it, little bits and pieces here and there. I'm not going to tell you all about it, but I'm telling you, God is moving. We're seeing things happen. Hallelujah. People are getting saved. Lives are being changed. There are things that are going on, and it's just the beginning. It's just the beginning. Hallelujah. So, Lord God, this morning, we are positioned before you. And our heart is saying, Lord, we don't understand everything about this. We don't know everything about it. But our eyes are on you. And when you tell us to go out to the battle, we know we can go with confidence because you are going to take care of the battle because the battle is yours, Lord. And we position ourselves to be praisers, to be worshipers, to be exalters of your name because you, Lord God, are worthy of all praise and glory and honor. So this day we choose. We choose to worship you. We choose to exalt you because you, Lord God, are worthy. Come, Lord, and as we sang the last part of that song we were singing, come and let your glory invade all of our darkness. Let your glory come today. Be manifest in this body, in this body, so that we would see you as you are. We'll be changed to be like you, Lord God. Oh, I thank you, Lord. Come and have your way this morning as we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship.
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. At the coming of the King, Hosanna, we will sing. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. At the coming of the
treasure you found. Hallelujah. 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 Amen. Seems to me that the Lord is speaking to us this morning about His goodness, His provision, and a reminder that He wants to remove all the messed up stuff in our life. He wants to heal us. He wants to set us free. He wants to take those chains off. He wants to open the prison doors. He's inviting us to come to the altar, and I know, you know, you guys, you do that in your heart. The Lord is saying to us this morning, all those things in your past, all those things that you you have regrets and you feel guilty or shameful over, the Lord is saying, just would you just leave it behind you? Because when Jesus died on the cross and he said, it's finished, he was taking care of all of it. He paid for our sin. He gave his life in place of ours. We were the ones that were guilty and deserve the death penalty, but he took our death penalty so we could have life. And he endured our shame and our guilt. He, he actually became sin on our behalf so that we could be the righteousness of God in him. And he doesn't want us to carry guilt or shame. He doesn't want us to be afraid. He wants us to come freely. And we were just singing, come to the altar because the Father's arms are open wide. There's forgiveness there. It was bought with the very precious blood of Jesus Christ. And it's, this is not something you have to earn. It's something that's just freely given because he loves you. He wants you to understand how much he loves you. He paid such a high price because of his great love for you. So, Lord, this morning, we thank you for that. And I thank you, Lord, that you invite us to come. I thank you that you don't ever turn us away, Lord. You don't ever... You don't ever reject us. You don't ever tell us, that's it, I give up on you because you've messed up too many times. But you are always inviting us to come. Thank you, Lord, for that. Thank you that we've said yes. Thank you that we've, we've come to your altar, Lord, and we've received that. And I thank you that you've made a way, it's a new and living way, that we can come over and over and over and over and over all the times we stumble and fall, all the mistakes we make, the dumb choices, things we do, Lord, you call us to come. And we can come without fear, without fear of rejection, without fear of, of uh, punishment, Lord, because we know we find mercy at your throne. When we throw ourselves before you, we always receive mercy because you're looking at us and you're seeing the blood of Christ applied to our lives, Lord. And I thank you for that. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for that new and living way you made with your flesh, your blood. We rejoice in that today, Lord, and I thank you that you are showing us who you are. You're showing us who we are and who you want us to be, Lord. As we talk about you each week, as we go into your word, Lord, you are bringing revelation and insight so that we see you as you are. And when we see you as you are, we'll be changed to be like you, Lord. And that's our prayer and our desire. And I thank you, Lord, that you're opening up all new insights to each one of us, Lord. We come with, with problems and questions and brokenness, but you're shining your light and you're exposing things and you're saying, here, let me heal that for you. Here, let me take care of that for you. Here, let me fix that for you. Here, just come. Would you come? And so, Lord, this morning, we hear you calling and we say, yes, here we are. Here we are, Lord. Heal us. 
Change us. Restore us. Make us new in every part of our life, Lord. That's our prayer. That's our cry. We thank you so much, Lord. Thank you for your great gift that you poured out on us, Lord. Thank you for that. Lord, we ask that you bless this time that we have in your word. Bless the mothers that are here, the ones that are listening. Every mother, Lord, let this be a special day where they would know that they did what they should do to honor you in raising their children. Lord, let them know that they have done a good job. Let them know that this is the day that we honor them for their sacrifice. And I thank you for our mothers. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You can be seated. And thank you. Once again, your song choices were great. We never talk about that, but uh, I, I couldn't have told you those songs any better than you picked them yourself, so you did good. Wow, isn't God good? So I'd like to be able to tell you some great news, but I'm going to let you figure it out over time. It's going to get revealed to you as we go along. So the Lord is doing wonderful things. He's moving, and, um, and I just want you to know that people's lives are being changed, and things are happening. And we've, you know, we've been proclaiming this, that we're, we're positioned in the community. We've been proclaiming that this the coronavirus, as horrible as it is, that God has given us an opportunity to touch people and do things, and, and it's beginning to happen. And I want you to get on board, get, uh, get excited about it, because God is moving. And we're just beginning to see just the very tip of the iceberg. What does the Bible say? You know, I hadn't seen, nor ear has heard what God's doing, but he's revealed it to us. Man, we're going to see it, because it's going to happen, and it's going to be good. We're going to get excited about the things the Lord is doing. So, announcements... Uh, about like always these days, not much. Uh, see you next week. <laughs> now, there are some things going on. Bonnie, are you still doing uh, things for the children on, online? Uh, more or less. More or less, okay. <laughs> so there's more or less other things going on. Just uh, kind of check on uh, Bonnie's Facebook page or look on the website. Okay. Yeah, we've, we're still not fully released to, you know, to begin to do everything with children again, although that might not be too far in the future when we can start doing that. So... Um, but we are, each week, uh, we're seeing more and more things begin to open back up. And, you know, I wanted to encourage you with that passage out of uh, Chronicles because Jehoshaphat was facing a thing just like we're facing. And in his prayer, he said, Lord, you told us when we're faced with the sword or with uh, pestilence, that's what the coronavirus is, right? Biblically, it's a pestilence. And uh, famine, we're going to have some... We're going to have some famine if we're not careful in this land. We don't go back to work pretty quick. There's going to be some problems financially. But we as God's people, though, that's one of the things that God promised to us. He said, if we, the people of God, will begin to call on him, he will show up. And just like it happened with Jehoshaphat, we keep our eyes on the Lord. He says, you know, the battle is mine. But you just need to position yourself and go out there. And, oh, by the way, when you go, how about you rejoice? How about you sing praises to me and let me do the work? I'll go for that. That's a good plan. Instead of me trying to do it all, I can just worship him and let him do what he does. 
He does it a lot better than I do. Amen? So when he sets you free, you're free indeed. And when you, uh, when you allow the Lord to have his way in your life, great and wonderful things happen. So I'd let you get up and uh, greet one another, except we can't do that. So I'll do this. I'll let you get up, look around, and just smile at people and nod. <laughs> get up. Right. Do it. We're not going to take long. Hello, hello. <clears throat> And so, look, you, you can't even obey a simple uh, rule, you know. I tell you just to stand up, and there you are, walking around. You bunch of stiff-necked rebels. <laughs> Y'all must be Israelites. Man. <laughs> there you go, yeah. You're now, now everybody ran away from you. I don't blame them. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> so, uh, it's Mother's Day, and... Uh, I ain't got no stinking flowers for you this morning. Sorry, moms. Um, but we got, uh, we got some cards. Uh, Chris is handing out some cards to the mothers. <clears throat> and if you got a few extras, you can send someone home with people. Um, you know, it's interesting. All these different occasions we celebrate, sometimes I, I uh, prepare a, you know, a message about that. But most of the time, I'm in the middle of some series or something, I'm just going along, and then it's like, oh, this is Mother's Day. Well, it just so happens, God is so good, you know, that every time that I do that, it's like right where I am in my series, there's some verses that deal with the things that we need to talk about for that particular day, and uh, so this week, <clears throat> we're talking about uh, Wounds of the Soul, part two, and, uh, and I want to give you some some more backgrounds and things that uh, I think we need to all understand. But, but as I was studying that, I was looking at uh, Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel, and, and I, I want to read something to you for, for the mothers. <clears throat> so, you know, when, when Adam and Eve sinned uh, and the Lord pronounced some curses on them, he said, you know, you, you guys, you're going to have to leave the garden now. You're going to have to work. And I used to coach baseball back when I was younger and my kids were younger and, and uh, on almost every team there was someone that, you know, they made excuses all the time. Every time they didn't make a play, you know, it was, well, you know, something was in my eye or I thought he was going to get it. And, it was all, and we used to call them excusimators, you know, because they, they always had an excuse for everything, you know. Well, I think Adam and Eve were excusimators. They, uh, you know, God came to him and said, what did you do? And Adam said, well, you know, that woman you gave me, she's the one that did it, you know, and, well, what did you do that for? And she said, well, it's that snake over there that did it, you know, I, I, I was just an innocent bystander, you know. Well, <clears throat> so after they had that conversation and God began to say, okay, there's going to be, you know, things are going to be different now because sin is coming to the world, things are going to be different. But he made this great promise, and we, you know, the promise he made to Eve was, he said, your seed and his seed are going to be enemies forever. Talking about Eve and the snake, the serpent, which is the devil. And he said, you know, y'all are going to, your descendants are going to be enemies forever. The serpent's descendants are going to bruise your descendants' heel, but your descendants are going to crush his head. Boom! So, let me just read this to you. In chapter 4, 
Now Adam knew his wife Eve, and that word knew means you know they had sexual relations. That was the biblical expression for knowing. Now Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain. And she said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. But I just want to I just want to point this out. God had made that promise to Eve. Your seed is going to crush his head. And when she had that baby, she named him Cain because she said, I've got a man from the Lord. Maybe. You know, moms are always hopeful. Maybe this is the seed. Maybe this is the one that's going to crush his head right now. It's fixed now. I'm fixing to see it all happen right now. She was all excited. I bet she was filled with anticipation. Moms, I know y'all, you experience the whole range of emotions. And, you know, you have great anticipation. And then, you know, your children disappoint you sometimes. Man, I was a disappointment. I know sometimes. But, but then, so here's what happens. You read down another couple of verses. And after... After uh, Cain and Abel had their problems, and Cain killed Abel, I'm sure that was really disappointing for that mother. Eve was probably thinking, yeah, these are my two children. Look what's happened. But she has another one. Adam knew his wife again. She bore a son and named him Seth. For God has appointed another seed for me instead of Abel, whom Cain killed. Mothers are so hopeful Mothers are so optimistic. Mothers are loving and kind and gentle, and they don't give up. They don't give up on you because you, you messed up or because you rebelled or because you, you disappointed them. Man, I'm glad that we got people in our lives that love us. Isn't it good to be loved? Isn't it good to know that people love you, even if you're a scoundrel sometimes? Uh, even right now. You know, I, I mess up all the time. And it's good to know that I'm loved, you know. We, we've always called this Real Church for Real People. We might have to change the name Real Church for Real Messed Up People. You know what I mean? We're, we're all broken and messed up, you know I mean? We're getting better all the time, but i got to say, uh, the closer I get to the Lord, sometimes the more I look at myself and it's like, wow, you know, you've got to do better than that, man. That's just not cutting it. So moms, thank you for being ever the optimist. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for taking care of us. When we were little, you loved us and you took care of us. And even right now, I'm almost 63 years old and my mom wants to, she wants to cook for me. She wants to wash clothes for me. She wants to do stuff for me. You know, I'm still her son and she's still my mom and she still wants to treat me just like I was a little baby. And thanks to my mom and my grandmom and my great-grandmother, people that loved me and prayed for me, that's where I am today. And it wasn't a straight path that I got here by, I can tell you that. But, the, but because of people loving me and supporting me and praying for me, God was able to do what he wanted to do in my life. And so, moms, thank you. This is your day, and we celebrate you. Thank you. Amen. <clears throat> so, last week we talked about... Um, our, our makeup as human beings, that we were created 
in the image and likeness of God, and that is uh, three parts. You know, we have a physical body. We have an inward part of us that's made up of a soul and a spirit. And we talked about some of the qualities and characteristics of those. So we have, uh, we're a three-part being, just like God is a three-part being. You know, we're created in his image and likeness. And, you know, if you wonder where, where I get some of that, the word Trinity is not in the Bible, but the, but the truth is in there multiple times. One of the most obvious is when Jesus was being baptized. So he's standing there as God the Son in person. And as he's baptized, the Holy Spirit descends on him in the form of a dove. And God speaks to him from heaven and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. So all three persons of the Trinity were right there. And they were three distinct persons. They were separate. Same thing could be said in the, in the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth. God was speaking creation into existence. The Spirit of God was brooding over the darkness and, and helping be involved in that creation and the, bringing order to the chaos. And if you read in John 1, it says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory as of the glory of the only begotten of the Father. That's Jesus. So Jesus was part of the creation, Holy Spirit was part of the creation, and God the Father was speaking it all into existence. So, the, you know, God is a, he is a three-part being. They all work in unison. Um, they have different, different uh, jobs that they do, but they're all one. They work as one. So in a family, you know, we've got a, a mother and a father and a child, and, you know, the father is responsible to, to provide and to protect and take care of them. The mother does most of the nurturing and, and tending, and the children are supposed to honor and obey and bring glory to their parents to, to bring respect to them. They have an inheritance, but they also are an inheritance to their parents because when their parents are old and they look down at their children, they say, Man, you know, you've, you've made me proud. You've made me happy. You've blessed me by, by what you've done in your life. You've honored me. And that's the way the father was when he looked at Jesus. He said, you've, you've honored me. So we're a three-part being, too. We have a body, physical body. It will die one day. We all are going to die. Our inward parts, they're going to live forever. And... Your soul is uh, it's, it's who you are, it's your, it's your basic person, your personality, your character, your mind, your will, your emotions, it's, it's, how you, it's how you think and relate to people. Your spirit is the part of you that relates to God. Now, last week I told you when, when Adam and Eve sinned, you know, God had told them, when you eat from that tree, the day you eat of it, you're going to die. And uh, <clears throat> the devil lied to them and they believed his lie, they ate from the tree. They didn't physically die then, but spiritually, something happened. Sin entered into the world because they rebelled. They, they openly rebelled against God. And when they did that, something bad happened to them. Their spirits died, so they could not communicate and relate to God in the same way. And you'll notice, you know, before that, God came down and walked and talked with them in the garden. They never saw God again after that. They got kicked out of the garden and everything changed in that relationship. And then when, <clears throat> when Adam began to have his children, it says that, that they were born in his, in his image, in his likeness. So they have, they have a soul and a spirit, but their spirit was, 
was really dead to God. It couldn't relate to him. But I, I told you last week, I think a better way to express it is to say their spirits are comatose rather than dead. Because here's the thing. When you're comatose, a lot of times you have some awareness of what's going on around you. I have a brother-in-law that uh, <clears throat> had an episode. On a <clears throat> he was, uh, I think it was like a sleep apnea episode or something. They really never diagnosed it fully, but, but he didn't wake up. And he was in a coma for like two weeks, and the doctors were all saying, he's brain dead, you know, might as well just unplug him. He's got this, you know, tube down his throat, and his kids were going and talking to him, and, Dad, you know, do you want us to unplug you? You know, and he, he get kind of agitated, and, and the doctor said, you can't talk to him, you know, you're just agitating him. Well, about two weeks in, I mean, they were coming right down to the day. It's like, you got to unplug him or take him to the nursing home because we can't just keep him in here forever. My sister was at home taking a shower, getting ready to go to the hospital. He pulls that tube out, gets his cell phone and says, hey, honey, what are you doing? <laughs> now, he was comatose, but he said, you know, when he, when he was awake then and when he was okay, and he did make a, almost 100% full recovery, and when he, when he started talking, he said, yeah, he said, I'd be laying there with that tube down my throat. I couldn't talk because I had that tube down my throat. And my kids would be saying, Dad, you want to unplug me? He's like, no, no, don't unplug me. <laughs> but I couldn't say anything because I had that tube down my throat. Well, that's the way our spirit is. When God comes to us, our spirit can hear his voice and our spirit can respond to it, even though, even though it's not really fully alive and fully awake like it needs to be, but, but we, we can hear God. And that's what draws us. See, that's, that's the thing that causes us to want to know God. That's the thing that causes us to want to, to want to be in communion with Him. Because we have this built-in, created thing within us that wants to relate to God. And it's, it's saying, please, you know, pull that thing out and let me start talking to you. That's what our spirit is saying. And one day, we say yes. And God, God just brings us life. He breathes life. Just like he breathed life into Adam the first day. And our spirit becomes alive again. It's like, whoa, I can see now. I can, I can talk now. I'm alive spiritually. I can commune with God. Everything changes. So that's what we're talking about. So the thing is, we have in our soul the ability to be wounded and hurt. Our soul is who we are. And believe me, who you are is affected by what you've experienced in life. If you, if you had a rough background, then you have certain things in your life. If you were raised with a silver spoon in your mouth, then you know, you've got certain things in your life. Everybody has things in their background. Everybody has things that are part of your life. And so over the next few weeks, I don't know how long we're going to talk about this, but we're going to be talking about the things in us that aren't, things that are glorifying God. They're not things that are healthy for us. They're things that God wants to heal us, change in us, things God wants to set us free from because uh, those areas in our lives that we have that are, that are messed up, real messed up sometimes, those things are, are areas that, the, that they, they cause us a lot of problems in our everyday lives. Now, we have these uh, different ministries. One of them is Cleansing Streams. It's, it's all about inner healing. It's about learning you know, that you have areas in your life that uh, you haven't fully 
surrender to the Lord properly, or maybe you've tried, but it just hadn't worked, and you realize the reason is because you have, you have a stronghold. You have something in you that is preventing you from just getting free. And so you need a little bit of extra help understanding that and praying for that. So we're going to be talking about that sort of thing as we go along. But this morning, uh, I want to talk to you about uh, the thing that we were talking about, Adam and Eve, and how that uh, as, as man began to be uh, born and more and more they multiplied, which is what God told them to do, multiply and uh, fill the earth. And he wanted, by the way, you know, when man was created originally, God told him, I, I've given you the earth to have dominion over it. You're supposed to rule and reign over it. And you know something I never noticed before, and I, I really wouldn't have noticed it this time, about I was reading a commentary about something, and it, and it just was one of the things that I'm like, oh, well, I'm going to go back and read that. I never noticed that. So did you know that God told Adam and Eve, uh, I have given you all the trees and the plants for meat? I guess we were supposed to be vegetarians. I'm probably just slow. I didn't pick up on that until just now. But, uh, and, but then he said, and I've given all the animals, everything, everything else, you know, I've given them stuff for them to eat. And he didn't say, you know, they're for you to eat. He did tell us that we have dominion over all of them. So anyway, when, when Adam and Eve sinned, <clears throat> basically uh, what the truth of the word is is that whoever you obey, that's who you become a servant to. And so up to that point, Adam and Eve were, they were the, the rulers over the earth. God set them up as his delegated authority to rule and reign over the earth. And when they obeyed Satan instead of God, they basically just handed over the authority and keys and said, you know, you deceived me and took it, but, you know, you got it legally because I obeyed you. And whoever I obey, I'm, I'm their servant and slave. And that's what, so that's what we've been dealing with ever since. So now, when Jesus came and died on the cross, that's when he really crushed the head of the serpent. When he came out of that grave, he conquered death, hell, and the grave, and he said, okay, now, it's finished. Everything is done. I am putting everything under my feet. I am restoring the authority and domain like God intended originally in my people so that you will have dominion over sin and you will begin to have dominion back in the earthly setting as it was meant to be originally. Now, it's not going to all happen. I mean, we're never going to see that fully. But as, as we as individuals and as we as the body of Christ begin to believe what God says and begin to walk in that, begin to use the authority and the power that he's given us through his spirit and through his word, then in little bits and pieces we'll begin to see that being restored where things will be put under our feet. Because we're in Christ, everything is under his feet, then it's, it's under our feet as well. Positionally, it's done. Physically, actually happening in the world, it's in a process, just like us being changed. When we give our lives to Jesus, we're changed in, the, in that instant. We are born again. We're alive spiritually. But we got a lot of other things that need to be changed and worked out. So as we walk through life, we are changing constantly. We're learning more, and we're growing more, and we're drawing close to the Lord. When we get close to the Lord, we realize there's some things He doesn't like in our lives. You know, I've been with my wife for 47 years, and I realize there's a lot of things she doesn't like in my life. I'm still working on a lot of them, unfortunately. 
she loves me and she uh, she supports me, but sometimes she doesn't like me too much. You know, like would you, I've been telling you for 47 years, change that. I guess I'm an Israelite at heart. I don't know. I'm stiff-necked and hard-hearted. <clears throat> okay, so I said all that to say that uh, in relation to uh, people being born, when you are in the womb, um, things happen. Things are happening until you were in the womb. Now, the word womb in the Bible means matrix, and the word matrix means like a cavity or a mold. It is where things are coming together, being shapen. And so when you are in the womb, you are being shaped into the person that you will be. And part of what is shaping you is the input from the father and the input from the mother. Now, we all believe in uh, genetics and DNA, and we believe in, in you know, the things that we inherit in that process physically, but we need to be aware that there are spiritual things in that process, too, that we inherit. And so when, you're, when you are being shapen in that matrix in the womb, there are spiritual things that are happening, too. And... Some of us have wonderful godly parents and grandparents, and some of us not so much. And those influences are going to affect the way that you're shaping in there. And so then when you are born and you start going through life, uh, some of us have kind of preset uh, propensities for things. I would call them a bent, you know, like you're, just like I said, you're, you're bent, you know? I mean, you're, you're not... You're not upright. You have a bent to do certain things. Some people have a bent for addictions. And uh, some people have a, a propensity to develop certain kinds of diseases and things. You know, all, all those things, are they're not just physical genetics, but they're spiritual gene genetics also. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. I'm going to give you some scriptures and give you a little, uh, a little information. I know some of you might... You might have a little issue with this, but I uh, just encourage you to listen to the scriptures. Let God speak to you. And if you have questions, you can ask me about it, and I'll be happy to, to try to help, um, help explain it in more de detail if you need that. So in Exodus 34, there's this great passage of scripture where Moses is, uh, he's, he's prayed to the Lord. He said, Lord, you know, if I'm, really, if I'm really the guy that you say I'm supposed to be for you, and I want you to reveal yourself. I want you to show me your glory. I want you to, to, to show me who you are so that I'll know you. And so God said, okay, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to reveal myself to you. you know, I'm going to put you in this little place over here on the mountain in this rock, and I'm going to walk by, and I'm going I'm to let you see me. And so this is what, this is what happened when, when that actually happened the next day. The Lord descended in the cloud. This is Exodus 34, verses 5 through 9. He descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and children's children to the third and fourth generation 
So Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth, and he worshiped. And he said, If now I found grace in your sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray, go among us, even though we are a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us as your inheritance. So he makes all these great statements about how he is God and he's abounding in goodness and truth and how he forgives and is merciful you know, to a thousand generations. But then he says, but by the way, you know, when you sin, there are consequences for sin. And then he's not saying, I won't forgive it. He's just saying, there's going to be some things that happen in your life when you sin. And he says, visiting that to the third and fourth generation. Now, that word visiting, one of the, one of the possible meanings of it is observe or observing. And I think that really is kind of appropriate to help us understand what God is saying here. He said, look, I'm, I'm, I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to be merciful to you. I'm going to show you my goodness. But when you mess up, um, you know, I forgive you, but there are consequences to sin. And when you make choices, there are consequences. And there will be, there'll be some things that will be passed down to your children and your grandchildren. Later in your life, you're going to experience some some consequences for the thing you do when you're young. You know, ball players, they abuse their bodies, and then when they're older, you know, they're all crippled up, and they've, you know, they've, they've got arthritis and everything. That's, that's what happens. You know, when you do things, there are, I guess it was Sir Isaac Newton, you know, every action is an opposite and equal reaction, you know? I mean, that's just the way it works. So God, he sees all that, and he observes what's happening. How do you think that happens? The third and fourth generation. I mean, how do you think stuff gets passed down to the third and fourth generation? You think maybe there's some things going on in the womb? You think maybe there's some things going on in our lives, you know, from the time that we're little bitty and people uh, love us or people reject us? You know, you run in there when you're a little baby and daddy, daddy says, shut up! I'm busy right now. Can't you see the adults are talking? Get out of here. I'm here to tell you, that'll leave a mark on you. That, that wounds you. And it's going to affect you probably the rest of your life unless you get healed. All kinds of things like that happen in our lives. We're born with certain things. that I mean, we already are born with a, a bent sometimes that make us more prone to be addictive type personalities. Or maybe we're born with a bent to be proud or maybe uh, bitter or angry. Some of that, it might be there, but it's enhanced because the very ones that are helping form that in you as your mom and dad and grandparents, they're the ones that are raising you. So they're influencing your life too. And so as you're growing up, not only did they help shape you that way originally and, and pass it down to you genetically, but they're teaching you and training you how to be rude and how to be bitter and angry and how to be selfish and greedy and how to be proud and how to, how to be unforgiving, how to be an addict. They might, be, they might be teaching you all that. On the other side, maybe you got parents that shaped you the other way. 
And as you're growing up, they're just loving on you. And they're just telling you, man, I love you. And you can, do, you can do anything you want to do. You know, you can succeed. You can do anything you set your heart to. Just, you know, just trust God and work hard. And, and they're telling you all the time how much they love you. And if you mess up, they don't, you dummy. And they're, they're hugging you. They say, get, get up. It's okay. Come on. Go back out there. Get back in the game. Make up your mind. Don't let him beat you this time. Don't give up. Keep playing. Keep fighting. Keep doing the things you're supposed to do. I'm so glad that, I mean, sometimes I think it's just, it's just unfair because I had, I had people in my life that loved me, people in my life that supported me, people in my life that encouraged me. And I had people that hurt me too, believe me. Sometimes it's the same people. <laughs> Unfortunately, the very ones that love you the most are the ones that can also hurt you the most sometimes. And they don't always do it maliciously, but they do. And so all those things affect us. They've, they create a situation in us where we have these wounds in our soul. And so what happens then is every day in life, you know, someone will come to you and they'll say, oh, and just that, that expression, it'll be enough just to set you off because all your life, you know, when you've, you've done something, maybe someone in your life that you loved and really, you know, counted on, maybe they would say, oh, so I see how you're going to be. It's like that again. Just, just a similar expression can bring that wound up in you and, and it's just like, you know, you just start going haywire because it's that influence in you that is being released. You could, you could name a thousand things. They call them triggers nowadays, I guess. Uh, I got a few triggers. It doesn't, uh, I don't know about political triggers, but I got a few triggers in me. Uh, but anyway, I digress. So I want to show you a few, a few scriptures that kind of, kind of show you what I'm talking about. So in Genesis 4, Cain, after he had killed his brother, and God was speaking to him, he said, man, you, you, know, you did wrong, and now you're going to be punished for it. And Cain says, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground, and I'll be hidden from your face, and I shall be a fugitive a vagabond in the earth, and it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. And the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. So he had a, he had a consequence to his sin, but God was merciful even in that, and he, and he said, I'm not going to just let anybody kill you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to set a mark on you. I don't know what the mark was. I don't, you know, it doesn't matter. But there was a way that people would know that, that uh, you know, you can't kill this guy. <laughs> and he said, and God said, and by the way, if anybody does try to do that to you, I'm going to put vengeance on them sevenfold. Even seven times I'm going to pay to them. So this is Cain. And then a little further down in chapter 4 of Genesis, Cain has a son named Lamech. And Lamech must have had some of Cain in him because he said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice, wives of Lamech. Listen to my speech, for I have killed a man for wounding me, even a young man for hurting me. And if Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold. I mean, he not only did the same thing, but he was bragging about it, and he was all excited about, you know, man, if you thought Cain was bad, you hadn't seen nothing yet. Look at me. I am really bad. 
It's interesting that uh, the first murderer had a son who was named as the second murderer. Yeah, there were, there were generations between there, and it doesn't say anything about them. That doesn't mean that they didn't kill someone, but for some reason, God chose to put that in his word so that we could read that and see that the very same thing that Cain did, one of his great-great-great-grandsons did, and not only did he do it, but he, he expounded on it and actually improved on it. He did it, was bragging about it. Cain was saying, I did it, but man, I'm sorry. I don't want to have to pay for the rest of my life. And this guy's saying, I did it, and I'm proud of it. And by the way, you try to do something about it, you're going to pay because I'm even bigger and badder than everybody. There's another guy I think is a pretty good example of this. His name was Saul, and he was the first king of Israel. But uh, when he first comes into the, into the Scripture, the first place you hear about him this is what it says about Saul. It says that uh, he, was, uh, he was of the tribe of Benjamin, and it, and it gives all this information about him. It says, now this is in uh, 1 Samuel 9, verses 1 and 2. There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, and it tells who he was a son of, and he was a son of, and he was a son of, and they were Benjaminites. They were a mighty man of power. So Kish was a mighty man of power. And he had a choice and handsome son whose name was Saul. There was not a more handsome person than he among the children of Israel. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of his people. So I just want to point this out. Saul's father was named Kish. Kish means bent. He was a mighty man of power. One of the meanings of, of that is strong men. You remember a scripture in the New Testament that talks about a strong man? Jesus said, you know, if you, wanna, if you want to take control of some situation, you bind the strong man first. Kish was a strong man. It also means a warrior, specifically it infers that he was a tyrant. It comes from the root word that means to be powerful or to act proudly or with insolence. And when that word says he was a mighty man of power, power means force, like the force of an army. So, I mean, he was, he was a force to be reckoned with. I mean, he was a tyrant. He was a, he was a powerful man. He had financial strength, but he also... He evidently was a very arrogant man, and he, he ruled and, and reigned over his affairs with, I guess, a pretty harsh way of doing it. Now Saul, his name means desired. Well, Saul was desired, but it can also mean demanded. So maybe Kish, when he named Saul, Maybe he was saying, I'm demanding something in return for what I've accomplished and who I am. This is what I deserve. I'm, I'm desiring it, but I, even more than I really deserve it. I'm demanding it. You see how this was passed through the generations, Kish and Saul. So Saul, when he first was chosen as the king, he didn't want any part of it. I mean, he was hiding out. He was... He, he, wouldn't even, he wouldn't even come forward and they called his name. He was over hiding in all the, 
and all the supplies. They had to go over and drag him out. He was actually humble. And when he started out as a king, he was humble. But then as he went along, some of that stuff that was in him, that bent that he had inherited, it began to rear its ugly head and he began to, to experience pride and he began to rule like a tyrant. You know, at one point, at one point he actually was going to kill his own son because he ate some honey. Saul made this dumb, rash vow, you know, if anybody eats anything today before we finish killing all the enemy, I'll kill him. Well, everybody obeyed except Jonathan because he didn't hear that, that command. And then later when it was found out that Jonathan had done that, uh, I mean, the only reason he didn't kill him was because all the people said, you're not going to kill your own son today because he's, he's brought this great victory experience. You're not going to do that. So they stopped him from it. But, but Saul had pride and insolence in his life. That's what caused him the problem. That's why the kingdom was torn away from him because he was proud enough to think that he could offer the sacrifice instead of the priest. He was taking the honor away from God by saying, yeah, no big deal. I can do that. Your laws, your rules, yeah, I can take it or leave it. Pride was passed down to him, and it didn't show up right off. It showed up a little later. I'll tell you another one. How about this? David. David's name means beloved. There was another guy that was, uh, that was pretty beloved. Remember Joseph? His daddy thought he was so special. He gave him this coat of many colors, and he treated him special. He was his favorite son, and he, you know, he, he made him different than all the rest of them. Well, in David's life, he was the youngest. Hmm, sounds similar. And then, but he, but not only that, but he, he was out there attending the sheep, you know. And his brothers probably resented him because I imagine the same kind of a deal, you know. The daddy was saying, "Man, I sure love you, David. You know, you're great." And so he sent him down there to check on the, on the battle. His brothers were down there at the battle. And, uh, and it says that they resented him because he came and he started asking questions. And their, their exact words to him were something like, who, who turned you loose to come out here from those few little old sheep you handle? You know, come up here and start running your mouth in front of all the, all the men. You're nothing. Why don't you just go back home to your daddy and take care of the sheep like you're supposed to? I mean, they, they resented him. And they resented him probably because certain things had happened in all their relationships. They had a mad, I mean, they, were, they had a bitterness and an anger towards him. And, and he, was just, he was just being the beloved, you know. I mean, he didn't really do anything to create all that unless the Bible doesn't say it, but I mean, he guess he could have run his mouth a little bit like Joseph did. You know, I'm special and I got some dreams and ambitions. But all that aside, when David became the king, Man, he started out. He was humble. He was doing all the right things. He was, he was honoring God. And then somewhere along the way, it just started going wrong. Somewhere along the way, he started getting into that, that whole idea of being the king. And he started doing things that were not like he started out. And I would like to just suggest to you that maybe some of those bents that he had within him were beginning to express themselves because... When the right situation and circumstances in life came up, those things began to come out. And sometimes we don't even know that we're doing it because it's, we've, we've just come to accept that that's who we are. You know? This is how I am. I can't change. This is my personality. 
That's what we want to we want to correct, because there is a way of thinking that will take you down the path of destruction, and there's a way of thinking that will take you to the path of life. And we want to get on the right path. We want to we want to allow God to speak into our lives and make all the necessary changes so that we're on the right path. We're following Him. We're doing the things we're supposed to be doing. And so. As we talk about this each week, I'm going to be talking about different aspects of wounds in our soul and how God is going to heal us and God is going to change us. David, when he, when he got a little older, he made some really, really terrible choices. And he did some things that, that caused a lot of problem and grief. But he, but he was quick to repent. When he realized he had sinned, he repented. And one of his prayers... He says, search me, O God, know my heart, try me, know my anxiety, see if there's any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. I mean, he was, he was sincere. He wanted to do right. He wanted to follow God. He wanted to be close to God. Matter of fact, he, even, he would even pray prayers like, God, you know the uprightness and the integrity of my heart. You know I'm a good guy. You know I've done right. You know, bless me and give me mercy and favor because I got it coming. I mean, he, he believed that because in his heart he was trying to follow the Lord and honor the Lord. But he was blind. And so then he prays his prayer. He said, search my heart. You know, I just, I want to be whole. I want to be healed. Search my heart and see if there's some wicked way in me, something about me that needs to be changed because I'm not getting it right. And then... You know, the sin of Bathsheba, and then that led to the murder of Uriah, his husband. I mean, it was just, he made these horrible choices. And when he, when he realized, he realized that he had done wrong. And I think, you know, I mean, either he just thought as the king he could do anything he wanted and it was okay because he was the king, or he, he just knew it was wrong and he just rebelled. Either way, it's, you end up the same place. He sinned. And he sends some more to cover up his sin. And then he sends some more to cover up those sins. And then eventually he was found out. And after he was found out, this is what he prays in Psalms 51. Have mercy um, upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. That word blot, it means to like rub it out, like with oil. It's really like taking, you know, the old chalkboards. You get that, that uh, linseed oil or whatever on the rag and you, you wipe it out and you make it all pretty and black and clean and it just looks brand new. That's what he's saying. Rub out, erase, blot out all of my transgressions. Transgression is a, it's a willful rebellion. A sin is like a mistake. Transgression is like when I chose to do it. I knew it was wrong. I did it anyway. And when you read the word iniquity, that is that bent. It's that part of you that, even though you may be trying to do right, it's just like you can't help it because, you know, I want to go this way, but I keep turning and going this way. I want to go this way, but I just keep turning and going this way. It's because you have a, a, a bent in you, something that's in you that's, that's you've got to get rid of it. And we sing these songs about, you know, like the chains, you know, falling off and wiping away all that stuff. And that's, that is spiritually and, and biblically true. There's a, there's a way we have to do it, though. It doesn't just happen automatically. 
And David goes on, he said, I acknowledge, I was just, uh, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. So David is acknowledging all of his iniquity and transgression and sin, and he says, this was the way I was shaping. I was shaped that way, brought forth in iniquity and sin. My mother conceived me. But he says, you desire truth in the inward parts of me, in the hidden part. You'll make me to know wisdom. Purge me, he says, with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I'll be whiter than the snow. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquities and create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will be converted to you. Deliver me of the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. Worship team, you all can come back. And I'm going to make a couple of quick little points here, and we're going to be ready to wrap it up. So David says, um, he said, man, if you just, if you just purge me and cleanse me and wash me, blot out all of my iniquities, those bents, those things in me that cause me to want to be turning the wrong way, get those things out of me. And he says, restore a steadfast spirit within me. That's really like, like an upright spirit within me. Because he recognized that his inward parts, they had, some, they had some twisting and bending going on. He wanted them to be upright. And he was saying, if you'll do that, it'll all be good. Because then I'll, I'll understand. I'll have wisdom from you in my inward parts. I'll be healed. I'll be whole. And I can follow you and I can obey you because all those twists and turns that have been inside of me, affecting me, are going to begin to just fall off. They're going to be to fall off the wayside. And that's what we want. We want to be clean and whole in the Lord so that he can have his way in us. And so as we, as we worship, I want you just to be thinking about the fact that, that God wants to shine the light into you. Jesus is the light of the world. He wants to shine that light into all of us so that our inward parts are just illuminated so that there's no areas of darkness. There's no areas in us where where we've got roots of wickedness growing in us. There's no areas where we've got a bent that's just going undetected. There's no areas where we were offended as a little child, and now when someone says a word or does a certain thing, we, we recoil and go back to that because we've got that offense that's still working in us. We don't want any place in us where we willfully disobeyed and we gave, we gave an opportunity for the devil to have a part of our life and to control us. Just like Adam and Eve, when they, when they willfully disobeyed, they turned everything over to him. We want to we let God restore that.
So Lord, as we worship you, just ask that you speak to us, speak to each one of us, bring revelation and insight to each one so we can see you as you are, see ourselves as you see us, Lord. I submit myself to you, Lord. I, I lay everything before you. I want it to just be naked and bare before you where you have access into every part of me. Shine your light on me. Change me. Make me into the person that I'm supposed to be. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Let's stand and worship.
we're all in different places spiritually. You know, we're, we're on this journey. All of this whole time that we are in this life, whether it's 20, 40, 60, 80, 100 years, or like Methuselah, you know, it doesn't matter. We are on a journey. And all that time, we are trying to allow the Lord to reveal himself so that we can become more and more like him. And there will be a day when we see him face to face and we'll be changed and we will be like him completely because we're going to see him just as he is and we'll be changed to be like him. But in the meantime, we want to see him now. Every chance we get, we want to worship him. We want to read the word. We want to spend time in prayer because that's how we... We begin to see who God is. That's how he reveals himself to us. And as he reveals himself to us, we can be changed to be like him. Thank you, Jesus. Don't misunderstand. I'm, I'm not saying if you've got problems in your life, that, that, that means you're going to hell. I'm just saying we as believers, we still have problems. We have things in our life that need to be changed. And it affects us. Maybe you're a great person, but maybe you still got a few areas in your life. God wants you to be whole. He wants the very best for you. And that's all I'm, I'm suggesting is that we hear from God so that he can heal us, make us whole, give us the ability to truly walk in the abundant life like he provided. What a shame to know that he's given so much and we don't take advantage of it. We just take a little bit of what he's given because that's all we need. I got, I got, I'm, I'm okay. I'm going to go to heaven. That's all I need. Why would you not just enjoy all the benefits of being born again? Why would you not walk in all the benefits of knowing the Lord every day for the rest of your life? Let him just keep pouring it into you. He wants to load you up with his benefits all day long, every day. That's what God wants. He wants to show you his goodness. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. It's all about his goodness. He is good and he wants to do good in and for and through us. Let's just receive that. And so, Lord, this morning, I pray that you reveal to each one of us, Lord, that you have good stuff for us. We want that. Help us to desire the good stuff, not to be willing to accept less than your very best, not to, not to accept the lies of the enemy, but to hold out for the truth of what you promised, the truth of your word, Lord. Those that don't know you, today, touch their hearts and speak to them. That comatose spirit inside of them, Lord. Speak to them and breathe into them. Breathe life into them so they would come to life. They would know you. They'd respond to you, Lord. Those that are walking in areas of darkness and roots of wickedness in their lives, Lord, speak to them and say, I want to set you free. Just trust me in this area of your life. Trust me in this area. If that's where you are, Pray and let God speak to you. Let God change you because that's what he wants to do this morning. Respond to him right now.
we can hold on to you. And I thank you, Lord, that even beyond that, you're holding on to us. You never let us go, Lord God. You are holding on. No one is able to snatch us out of your hand. No one is able to pull us away. Thank you, Jesus. It's all because you, Lord. Your grace enables us to say yes. Your grace enables us to say yes every day and follow you. Your grace is what gives us the power and the ability to become like you. It's all you, Lord. We're like Jehoshaphat. We've got our eyes on you this morning. We don't understand every single thing. We don't know everything. We don't know how you're going to do it, but our eyes are on you. We ask, Lord, go with us. Watch over us. Heal and change us, Lord, every moment of every day. Let us rise up and be the people that you've called us to be. Your body filled with light and love and power moving in this culture, Lord, to bring about change. Oh, God, let us be love and light as we go everywhere, everywhere all day long, Lord, that you would flow out of us, that we could touch other people the way that you want to touch them, Lord. I thank you. Thank you that you never give up on us, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you send your great love and it just keeps coming, coming and coming. We can't run from it. We can't hide from it. Your love seeks us out runs us down, catches up with us, and just overwhelms us and says, here it is. Won't you say yes to it? Oh, God, we need you this morning. More and more of you. More and more of you. Bless everyone today, Lord. Bless the moms and give them a great day. Let us celebrate as families and and, uh, the people that we know and love. Lord, help us to, to celebrate all that they mean to us. Go with us, Lord. Bless us. Make your face shine upon us, Lord, and be gracious to us. Lift up your countenance upon us and grant you, grant your perfect peace to us, Lord. I thank you for that. Seal this word in our hearts so that we'll go away thinking about who you are, who we are, and all those things in us that, that we might need to be considering to just surrender to you and say, Lord, Set me free. Heal me. Change me. Go and be blessed. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.